You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Thank you for joining us this morning. Let us pray first. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into the great trial, but deliver us from evil. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. It's a pleasure to have you all with us wherever you may be. Uh, as you recall, we've been going through this series um, of remembering our first love. And um, if you remember, we started with this verse from Revelation 2, 4, and I'm reading it out of the Kingdom New Testament. It says, I do, however, have one thing against you. You have abandoned the love you showed at the beginning. Now, we started this series with this call to remember our first love. And if you recall, we noted that to remember our first love is a matter of understanding that we are disciples. And disciples are marked by their love for God and each other. And we've, we've had a, a, a variety of definitions of what it means to, to be a disciple. And we were intentional about that. We wanted to give you as much language as possible that you could grasp onto that would help you understand what it is to be a disciple. Um, so whatever language that, that you heard throughout, use the ones that are the most helpful to you. You know, we all um, you know, gravitate towards uh, different definitions and different languages that are helpful to us. But I'll go through a few of those just to jog your memory. You know, uh, we said that disciples are people who, who love Jesus and are followers of Jesus, are students of Jesus, a couple of definitions, right? Uh, people who, uh, some of the things that disciples do is that they die to themselves to experience ultimate love. Or another definition is discipleship is uh, people who are in purposeful relationship with Jesus, and my favorite uh, and most simple definition is that uh, disciples are with Jesus learning to be like him. Um, today, we're going to uh, you know, wrap up this series. And when we're looking at what it means for us to keep uh, Jesus as our first love when it comes to church and, and what the church's role is in making disciples and becoming disciples. Um, so we want to just go over a few things about what the church is that might be helpful to you. Um, now, we don't have a lot of time today, and, and uh, the church is a, a very deep topic, a very broad topic. Um, so we're not going to be able to cover everything uh, about what the church is and does, but we're going to try to cover a couple of topics. Now, the first thing you need to remember is that the church is not a building, Right. Uh, the church building is something that facilitates the gathering of Jesus followers, right? Or disciples. Uh, and you can see this clearly in Romans 16, 5, and I'm reading out of the NLT here. It says, also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Eponidas. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. So here we have what the church is and uh, a disciple mentioned by name. Um, in our language, we might say that you could you know, how we associate church buildings with the church, it, it might read something like, um, give my greetings to the church that meets in that church, right? Or that church building. Um, but here we see Paul is greeting a church that's meeting in a home because the church is not a building. Uh, in fact, one of the words that we use for church in the Greek is ecclesia. Uh, and that means that it's the assembly or the called out ones. Um, 
And, and the church has these uh, two um, broad meanings. One, it means the universal church, the universal uh, capital C church you've heard us refer to before. And that is basically anyone who belongs to Jesus. So the church is you, me, and us collectively that belong to Jesus. Uh, now, specifically the local church, that would be considered a local expression of the kingdom of God or the universal church, right? So a community of called out ones, uh, of people that belong to Jesus that gathers locally. We gather here locally as the Mission Redlands. Um, and, and one thing we, we always tend to say here is we're not just a church, we are a family, right? Uh, we want it not to just be a local gathering of believers, but of believers who are in rela- intentional relationship with each other, who are willing to sacrifice and die to ourselves for each other like a family would do, right? So this local expression of the kingdom of God, of the universal church here in Redlands, um, it could be considered a beachhead of the kingdom of God, right? Um, we want it to be uh, the forward operating base of the kingdom of God here in Redlands, California, right? Uh, and we're not interested in vessel building. And what I mean by that is a lot of times uh, in church history, we, we tend, not just us, uh, but the church universal in their local expressions has had the tendency to make their local expression the main thing. And we're not interested in doing that, right? And by that, I mean, we don't want to say that uh, the Mission Redlands is the only church that has it figured out. We, the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is uh, he allows us to have these local expressions of his kingdom and his church throughout the world so that we can uh, be specific and uh, intentional with the way we do church that meets the needs of this particular community. So church is gonna, the local expression of the church is always gonna look different from location to location, and that's okay. As long as you don't make that local expression the main thing, uh, you don't make it an, an idol, right? You don't make it something more than, than what it is. Now, um, I'd love to talk more about that, but the, I want to say that there are two basic things I think the church will be identified with um, if they are keeping Jesus as their first love. And it's not the only things, but I think there are two really important and main things that I think you will identify with the kingdom of God and with the local church, right? Is if, if they are keeping Jesus as their first love. And the first is power, right? Now the early church had no resources, but they did have power. Today, you might say that the modern church has a lot of resources, maybe not us specifically here in the Mission Redlands, but they don't have a lot of power. I'm gonna say that again. The early church had no resources, but they had power. And the modern church may be characterized as having a lot of resources, but no power. And I don't ever want to be, sound too critical of the church because I know who's in charge of it, uh, Jesus, right? But I want to look at exactly what Jesus says here in a specific instance. And I'm going to look at Matthew 16, uh, verse, starting at verse 13. And I'm reading out of the ESV. And you can turn there or put on your device if you want to follow along. But it says this, uh, Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? 
And they said, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon and Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but it feels like there's a lot of power granting there in that verse. Um, But I want to look at specifically what that power looks like. Um, and, And Caesarea Philippi, now the readers, the original readers of this text would have had a lot of clues to understand what Jesus was getting at here. Uh, We miss some of these things because we're not familiar with the languages or the times or the context. But Caesarea Philippi sits at the foot and the base of Mount Hermon. And Michael Heiser, a biblical scholar, says, at the time, people referred to this place as the place of the serpents. Um, So they're at the foot of Mount Hermon in Caesarea Philippi, the place that they consider the place of the serpent. It's literally considered the gates of hell because there's pagan temples there. There's pagan God worship there. Now, I don't know about you, but um, in the lens that I've grown up with and been accustomed to reading the Bible, um, I've always... I've always been told like, you know, we're just here to kind of hang on. Our, li- our earthly lives is just uh, a matter of hanging on until Jesus comes back and, and rescues us out of this terrible place, right? We don't have a lot of power. Um, you know, there's not much we can do. Satan's in control and the world's just gonna get worse and worse and worse. But look at this verse again. It says the gates of hell. Now, I don't know about you, but gates are not offensive weapons. Gate, gates and walls are defensive structures to keep people out, right? See, when we talk about this kingdom language, this kingdom of God, it's an offensive, mighty fortress that's going to take back territory. It's not something that's on the run. See, God's kingdom is in fact on the move, right? Kingdoms are either expanding or they're shrinking, and disappearing. And God's kingdom is not shrinking and disappearing. It's an ever expanding. You just look at the, the, the gospels and read through the parables of what the kingdom of God is like. It, it, it builds slowly and expands, but it's never in retreat. And see, what Jesus is getting at here is that not only is the kingdom of God going to be powerful, but it's going to take back enemy from the territory. It's going to be attacking the gates of hell, not the other way around. I hope you're tracking with me, right? Because gates are defensive structures. Jesus is saying the gates of hell will be under assault from the kingdom of God. So we're gonna take back territory from the enemy. We're gonna heal the sick. We're gonna make marriages like strong fortresses. We're gonna overcome the ills of society. We're We're gonna overcome addictions and heal people and make things better. We're gonna bring the kingdom of God to bear on earth where we are. That's what the power of God that Jesus is talking about. That is the, the stone, right? Right, that, the, and, and, and 
And that's the stone that Jesus is talking about. The stone is that the son of God, that's, that's what the church, the rock that the church is built on, that Jesus is the son of God and acknowledging that and, and being in love with the son of God. And look at this verse from 1 Corinthians 4.20. It says this, and this is from the NLT. It says, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. And that's what God has sanctioned there. He stood at the gates of hell and said, the kingdom of God is gonna be on the attack. We are gonna be on the move. We're not gonna be a, a powerless entity that's just hanging on for dear life. No, we're gonna be taking the fight to the enemy. Now, the second thing that I think that will distinguish the church that is in love with Jesus and is keeping Jesus as its first love will be love. And I wanna look at two very famous chapters of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. And we're going to start at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. And this is out of the NLT. I'm just going to read it to you. You can follow along. It says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts that God has appointed for the church. First, our apostles. Second, our prophets. Third, our teachers. And then those who do miracles. Those who have the gift of healing and those who can help others. Those who have the gift of leadership and those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Now, we, there has been lots of ink and lots of arguments spilled among in church history over which gifts are valid and not valid or in use or not in use or which ones should be desired or who has the gifts and who doesn't. But Paul is telling us something very specific that I've missed because, right, we all come to lens and we've all been conditioned to read the Bible in a certain way. And if we don't try to fight against that lens and give Jesus and the Bible a fresh hearing, we might miss something important. Now, when we go to chapter 13, what we typically do is uh, we think Paul's talking about gifts in the church, right, in chapter 12. And then all of a sudden, miraculously, we're in a wedding ceremony in chapter 13. That's actually not the case. This, the context continues. Paul is actually telling you, let me show you what's the best gift to pursue, right? He's, a, he's talked about all these great gifts that we associate with our church life. And now he's telling you it's the best one, right? And we're gonna read that. Chapter 13, verse one. If I could speak in all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, right? Why is he talking about prophecy in a wedding ceremony? Well, it's not here for a wedding ceremony. He's actually talking, continuing this conversation about gifts and, and abilities within the church body, right? If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. You can have all those giftedness and all the, you could be a teacher and a prophet, but he's telling us right now, the greatest gift to be and to have in the church is love. I hope you see that with me. If I gave everything to, have, uh, everything to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I don't love others, I would gain nothing. This, this verse that we started with from Revelation, right? We, talk, we, we went into context a little bit. He's saying, I've seen your good works, but this is what I have against you. You don't have love. And this is the exact same thing Paul is saying right here. 
It doesn't matter. Anything that you do is null and void if it is without love or is devoid of the love of God. See, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, boastful, or proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages, back to chapter 12, right? He's referring back to that. And special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. What's, he, what's gonna become useless? All of these gifts and things that we think are great about church won't even matter. The only thing that's gonna matter here is what, he's, what is he saying? Love. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see the things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All I know that, <clears throat> all that I know is now that par- now in partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. The things that will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Now listen, it's, it's fine if you use this in, in your marriage ceremony. I actually asked uh, the pastors that were doing my, me and Jessica's ceremony not to use that verse specifically because that was like the worst thing you could use to do for me is use a, a verse out of context, right? That's my job. I like to use verses out of context, but I don't want other people to do them, right? Uh, and they did it anyways. But the point I was making was that verse is not specifically about romantic love. Now, love applies in every context. So yes, it applies to your marriage as well. And that's a great uh, ethic and, and verse to uphold when you're thinking about sacrificing for your partner and your family and your kids. Um, so don't get me wrong with that. But specifically in this context, Paul is talking about the fact that if our churches are not filled with love, it doesn't matter what we do, right? And we can see this from the evidence and the headlines of the last few years about prominent Christian leaders and teachers and how they have failed us, right? Because all the giftedness in the world does not make up for love. And now look at what that is doing to the people who trusted those gifted speakers and teachers and leaders. Their, their worlds are crumbling because they trusted the person and that person betrayed them because they weren't seeking Jesus as their first love. They were enthralled by the ability and their gifts to teach and to attract people by their teaching. Now, listen, I'm not saying that uh, teachers up here have to be perfect. I've, God forbid, me and, and the rest of the teaching team and leaders in this church and volunteers and you as members of this church, none of us are perfect. Uh, and we have to be very, we have to give lots of grace, but we also have to be humble and vulnerable to each other and to admit where we're, we're, we're failing and not hide it and not pretend like we have it all figured out. You know, we're a family and church in process together, learning to be like Jesus. But so often we wanna pretend and put on a show and just rely on our giftedness. This is why I love that Jason shares this, this, this teaching platform because he understands the danger of it, the, the deceitfulness of it. If you get up here and you can and, and use your words to, to encourage people, you can also use your words 
to manipulate people. And it's a dangerous platform if you're not careful and you're not humble and you're not uh, willing to be vulnerable and accountable to people and to your church. Now, the thing about this is if we're going to be a church that is, uh, consume, that is controlled by love of God and love of others, we have to understand that we're not always going to be perfect in that. We have to, give, we have to understand that none of us are God, right? And if we are a family like we, are, we aspire to be, we understand that sometimes we're going to get on each other's nerves. But we, there's forgiveness and there's grace. We don't let these things become, uh, you know, the defining things. We grow with each other and we forgive each other as we, we grow with Jesus and keep him as our first love, right? <clears throat> Seeking Jesus first, that, that is the mission, right? Uh, putting the kingdom of God first. And if we do that, we will be infused by the power of the Holy Spirit and we will grow in love and become love. So what does this mean for the mission Redlands? And what is the church's role in remembering our first love and making disciples? Well, listen, uh, the local expression of this church and all churches should be to make disciples, to become disciples, right? Because we're a part of it. Remember I said the church is you, me, and us together collectively that belong to Jesus, right? We're here to be disciples, grow in discipleship, and to help others along that path as well. Now the typical, sorry, the typical growth church model, uh, right? When you're talking to, uh, you know, experts on church growth in America. Now it looks at three things, attendance, buildings, and cash. That's the typical church growth model in America. Now, I will tell you, we're not doing great on any of those three, right? Uh, and that's not, nothing, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just, it's just a reality of where we are. And, and those things aren't to be ignored. They're important, but they can't be the main thing. So often, uh, there are churches that make attendance, buildings, and cash the main thing, and they lose sight of their first love. But I will show you what the greatest church model growth uh, the greatest church growth model of all time is, and get, Jesus gave it to us, and it's called the Great Commission. It's in Matthew 28, 16. I'm gonna read it for you, starting in 16. And this is out of the NLT. It says, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Now, I just wanna stop, pause, right? This is, Doubt is okay in the church. That's one thing uh, that you need to understand. Questioning and having doubt is okay. You can be in process and you can have questions. Don't ever feel like you can't bring questions. And at least in our church here at the Mission Redlands, our family, we welcome questions. We welcome doubt. We are in process together. All right? Now go, we're continuing. Jesus, uh, verse 18 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given authority in heaven on earth. Now, does this say that Satan has been given authority? That he's the one that's gonna be taking ground? No, it says, I, Jesus, has been given authority over heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, so often uh, what we have done is we've made go the defining thing of what it is uh, for the Great Commission. Going doesn't do anything. It's just an operative. In fact, the verse should read more like, as you go and wherever you go, you make disciples. That is the operative operative uh, function of this verse, right? And making disciples, that's the operative uh, function of the Greek here. 
therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when he says baptize them, uh, yes, the symbol is to go underwater, but there's a deeper meaning too. It means to immerse them in the Trinity, right? Baptizing them, get them surrounded by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And then this is one of the verses, one of the verses that we always tend to leave off. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So four things there that stand out to me in the Great Commission. One, make disciples, right? And, and sometimes we use language around here like living out God's radical love. We're meaning the same thing. Be, just, you cannot live out God's radical love. You cannot become God's radical love without becoming a disciple. That's, that's the natural outflow of, of a disciple is living out that radical love. Two, immersing people in the Trinitarian reality of God's kingdom, right? Baptizing them, uh, not just getting them wet, but actually getting them surrounded by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach people to do everything as God has commanded. Why? And Jesus is with us as we go about it, right? So um, the way I see um, our function as a church body here at the Mission Redlands is uh, three things, right? There are three primary ways I think um, help us to be transformed, to become disciples and to grow in discipleship. And one is the vision, right? And we wanna always be pre presenting the vision of, to you about what it means to be a disciple. I think a, being a disciple of Jesus is the greatest opportunity we have ever been afforded right? You never want to see your relationship with Jesus as some type of obligation. You want a vision for it that is beautiful and that you long to be with Jesus. It's not a, a religious ritual or a thing to check off on your box. We want you to be in love with Jesus and we want you to get that vision. And that's, we want that to be the vision for ourselves. Now, uh, after you get that vision, you have to decide to do it, right? You have to have that intention, Right, so that you, can, you need to form the intention and the decision to become a disciple and grow as a disciple. And again, that means keeping Jesus as your first love and being in love with him. And then the third is the means, and, and those are just the tools that will help you grow as a disciple. So currently, uh, some of the functions that we have at, at, at our church and the gatherings that we have at our church, um, and, and I will tell you before I get into those, is that the leadership here is committed to understanding what it means to be a disciple-making church. We don't have the answers yet. We are prayerfully considering everything that God would have for us as we become disciples and try to make disciples. So there, are, there may be times where things look differently, right? Church doesn't always have to be um, somebody talks and we sing songs and we have a prayer and we're out of here. Church can mean uh, coming together and breaking bread, having table fellowship, or coming together and having just prayer and silence together, or any uh, myriad of options where we gather together under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom of God and to become uh, and grow as disciples, right? Um, but currently, some of the things that we do, we have these, Southern, these Sunday gatherings, right? And, and, and really, I see this as a way of creating rhythms for us to refocus and reorient around Jesus and our apprenticeship and discipleship to him, right? See, all throughout the week, we are being uh, programmed by society and culture to and being discipled by society and culture to a way that is contrary to our love for Jesus. And so when we gather on Sundays, 
that is an opportunity for you, me, and us collectively to reorient around Jesus, right? The well. And, and, and a lot of times, right, uh, we, we use that as a count. We use the calendars. To, uh, church life is very centered around calendars, right? When's Easter? When's Sunday? And, and if you know, calendars are not a great thing to trust. If we've learned anything from 2020, we know we cannot trust the calendars because the calendars will just let us down, right? But calendars are a useful tool, tool in church life to help us reorient, to, to take time to acknowledge certain times throughout the year where we need to refocus on certain aspects of Jesus's life and, and the biblical narrative. Um, now, teaching, uh, one thing that we, we do a lot of here, right? And, and we do teaching so that you guys can catch the vision of, of being a disciple and following in love with Jesus, right? But it's up for you to decide that intention aspect that we talked about. Um, it's up for you to decide that you want Jesus and that you love him and that everything that he has for you and me and us collectively. And then as a community, we, we use these t- times of teaching, again, to reorient ourselves, reprogram ourselves away from the culture. Now, I will tell you a lot of times in, in, in churches uh, and, and experiences I've had that teaching has been a time for us to set boundaries, right? To set fences so we can tell people who's in and who's out. Uh, the goal, and I think our goal here is not to set boundaries, is to help us again, and I've used this language throughout, is to help us reorient towards Jesus. We are looking at the well. We're not setting a fence. We are moving towards Jesus. He's our well, and we're all, we are moving towards him, and we're trying to get everyone here to move towards him as well with us, right? Together, we're going to the well, and, and learning and, and having him reshape us and disciple us so that we can properly confront uh, our, our, our world. And then, of course, we have small group gatherings. And, and right now, if you have not joined us with our grow groups, that's what we call our small group gatherings. We're going through the book of Mark and to help us learn from Jesus, be with Jesus and learn from him. And it's an important aspect of your discipleship. So if you haven't signed up or you haven't gotten, it's not too late. Uh, we'll never shut you out. You can come on the last week or the first week or any week in between. We want you to be there with us and with Jesus. So if you have not signed up or have not gotten connected with the Grow Group, please reach out uh, to Teresa and uh, we'll get you set up with our Grow Groups. And right now we're going through the book of Mark. Um, and it's just an opportunity for us to see Jesus with fresh eyes and to learn from him, right? Because you can't, you can't follow Jesus alone. You can try, but it's very difficult. You need confession. You need vulnerability. You need that connection with other believers, other disciples of Jesus. And you need to grow with uh, what we describe as our family here at the Mission Redlands. Now, there are other uncategorized gatherings to opportunities for life together, laughing, enjoying, and fellowship. And, and those are all essential aspects of our life with God and with each other. <clears throat> with that said, um, we have to ask ourselves, where do we go from here? What is the quality of life that we want to take as we move out from here and out from this series, right? Um, well, We'll just say this, that we, we want you to get, pick up the vision of being a disciple as we have. And again, that's not another religious checkpoint. It's 
we want you to fall in love with Jesus, right? And to be with him in your everyday life. That's why we talked about all these various categories of what it means to remember our first love and to, take, and to be a disciple in those areas of life. Because this is a whole life movement, right? Jesus is with you, not just on Sundays or when you gather here, but he's with you throughout the week if you will let him, right? Um, being a disciple who loves Jesus first is a lifelong journey. Now, uh, there are, we sometimes have uh, blinders on because we only view the church in its context in America. But I will tell you, there are millions across the, the world that are turning to Christ, right? There is a tremendous church growth happening in all parts of the world, right? But it would be unbearably tragic, if though the millions in Asia and South America and Africa were led to believe that the best we can hope from the way of Christ is the level of Christianity that they see with us in America or in Europe, right? A level that has left us tottering on the edge of world destruction. You see, the world can no longer be left to slick orators and teachers and diplomats and politicians and business leaders. They have done the best they could, no doubt. But this is an age for spiritual hero heroes, a time for you, me, and us collectively as the church to be heroic in faith and discipleship and spiritual character and power and love. You see, the greatest danger that the church is facing today is that of pitching its message too low. See, we have to remember our first love and recognize that we are his, we are his disciples, and we have to be committed to growing as his disciples. Not because we have to, but because we love Jesus and he is our first love. And being a part of what he is doing with you and me and us collectively is the greatest opportunity ever afforded human beings. So I just wanna pray over you right now. If you've never uh, given your life to Jesus or, be, or, or, or have never understood the decision to become his disciple, his student, his follower, uh, I just wanna pray over you and encourage you to give that opportunity to Jesus and to allow him to be the one who teaches you and disciples you and cares for you. Our Father, we just thank you uh, for the opportunity to gather together. And we look forward to the day where there are no more restrictions on us gathering. But no matter where we gather or how we gather, we want you to be first in our lives as our love. We want your love for us to take over our lives and for us to become your radical love for the world. We pray for everyone out there who has never made a decision to be your student, your disciple, your follower, to be in love with you, to give them a soft heart, Lord, to turn their eyes towards you, to have ears that are receptive and eyes that see. May us all become your disciples, Lord, ready to do what you have for us, not because we have to, because that's the type of people we're becoming. We're becoming love because it's the greatest opportunity that you've ever given us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.